Welcome to episode one of the Electric Violin Shop podcast, Rockstar Violinist. This podcast is brought to you by Coda Bow, the top maker of carbon fiber bows, and Diodario, the premier manufacturer of strings. The purpose of this podcast is to highlight the stories and the music of non-traditional violinists, those who operate outside the traditional world of orchestra, chamber, and classical music. It's only fitting that episode one feature an artist who not only was the world's first heavy metal violinist, but one who had to invent his own instrument. Nothing that existed at the time would meet his unique needs. So he literally took the hammer and saw to create the palette and the brush to paint the sounds that he was hearing in his head. If you've ever put a wah or a distortion on your violin, whether you know it or not, you are influenced by Mark Wood. Because he is in such high demand as not only an artist, but also the owner of one of the most important electric violin manufacturing companies in the world, and as a world-class educator, it's really hard to get Mark alone for an interview. We did this interview in the lobby of the NAM show in Anaheim, California. If you've never been, it's the scene of the most intense sensory overload experience you can imagine. Hundreds of thousands of square feet of music gear and musicians all playing, talking, singing at once. It's rock and roll madness. At one point in our interview, you'll hear some obnoxious trumpet player who just couldn't contribute to the cacophony inside the arena, but had to step outside in the lobby and blast us there. So I will apologize for all the background noise, but if you can manage to ignore that, you are in for a real treat. Mark is one of the most passionate proponents of electric violin music and music education you'll ever meet. So without any further introduction, here's my conversation with Mark Wood, rock star violinist. Actually, I'm not a violinist. Little known fact, actually. <laughs> Nobody seems to know I'm a viola player. Right. So I started on viola, hating the E string. No interest in the E string. I wanted that rich tone, so the middle range. Um, but of course, once I put an E string on my viola for the first five string when I was 12 years old, then I got why we have an E string. So 12 years old, you knew that, that you were not interested in, in following the path of, of the Suzuki machine? Well, actually, if you really want to find out the epicenter, here I am, my mother's a concert pianist, my brother's, and by the way, this is all in my TED talk, if you haven't seen it. I had four, well, my mom had four boys, right? I was one of them, and she had a string quartet. My oldest brother's a well-known violin player, second oldest brother's a cellist. I play viola, my younger brother played violin, and we, pl- we were the first old brother's string quartet. So my deep history with classical music was there. Out of nowhere, I hear Sgt. Pepper's. Beatles. Oh my God. I was like, what is this? So I could play Stravinsky, Brahms, Beethoven, it was like second nature to me, with my hands tied behind my back. When I heard John Lennon, Miles Davis, Jimi Hendrix, I was like, what is this music? It's coming from the, the universe. I couldn't understand it. I couldn't play it, but I loved it. Allman Brothers, Dwayne Allman, man. I was like, all these guitar players. Uh, Eddie Van Halen, I was like, but I'm a viola player. I'm not allowed to go near this stuff. Right. I get a full scholarship to Juilliard. They're training me to be the principal viola player of the New York Philharmonic. They selected me out of hundreds of viola players that year. And then I arrived at Juilliard, the Van Halen's first record came out, and I was like, 
I need to play like this guy. So I go to my 80-year-old Russian viola teacher. I said, man, I would need to play like this guy. And my teacher threw me out the window. He said, are you kidding me? That's not music. You know, the cliche. Oh, yes. And for two years, I stayed at Juilliard working on viola. And prior to that, when I was in middle school, I built the first five-string electric, uh, four-string electric viola, you know, at my dad's woodshop. Uh, and it was a solid body. It wasn't acoustic, because at the time, before you were born, the electric violin was an acoustic violin, right. painted blue, Barkus Berry, yep. with a pickup on it. And I was like, look at these guitar players, man. They've got these cool shapes, and blah, 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 blah. Why aren't we doing that? I would yep. talk to Barkus Berry on the phone. Oh, Mark. Very conservative. Conservative? Come on, man. Violin players are crazy, too. So no, 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 no. They're not going to want anything different or radical. I was like, yeah, but I want it radical. So I said, I'll build something. So I built the first one when I was 12 years old, the first four-string viola, first five-string, and then I got frets. And then I built my double-neck violin. Yes. And then I built my hand violin. I don't know if you ever saw the oh, hand yeah. violin. Very famous instrument. Um, so I built the first one that had frets, and then I built the sixth string. And I was like, oh my God, I could do my Van Halen licks. Right. And then people would constantly go to Mark, why don't you just play guitar? I'm not going to play guitar. I'm a viola player. Come on, we could do it with a bow. With a bow, what are you talking about? You can use a pick. They said, no, 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 no. You don't understand the bow is the magic, man. Yep. We can do beautifully sensuous, lyrical, beautiful melodies, and we can also be incredibly aggressive like that. And then I plugged it into distortion. And I was like, holy dude. That's what did it for I me. Could, right? First time I distorted one, I was like, game over. Yeah. And the fact that our instruments are tuned in fifths, that was it too. Because yep. I was like, guitar is this weird tuning, man. You have to do this for a power chord. We just do this for a power chord. Yep. And then we have the instant sustain. So that was all morphing while I was at Juilliard, uh, butting heads with the old guard. My roommates were Shlomo Mintz and Nigel Kennedy. Nigel Kennedy, if you know, one of the great violin players, sure. totally wacko. With a little bow tie, 16 years old, he and I were roommates at Tanglewood, working with Leonard Burson at the Boston Pacific. And he and I would go to see jazz clubs and go see Stefan Grappelli. And then I ended up going, I'm out of here. Threw it all away, slept on the floor of my father's art studio, and built electric violins while I was redesigning the way I play. As you said, get rid of this. All we need is the strings, a way to hold the strings, and then as long as it's relative to this, I can figure it out. So that was the evolution. Fantastic. So, I mean, I, I sort of get the same story from most of the electric violinists that I played that it's that I interviewed that at an early age, you sort of knew that, you know, one of these is not like the others. I'm, I'm, I'm not willing to fit into this mold. And, and you, it's funny that you mentioned the... Uh, we're, uh, we're at NAMM right now, so we're getting a little background noise. Um, I guess I, I do want to get into a little bit with you, sort of where you're... Where your career went from there, how your how your violin building career and your playing career sort of sort of work together, maybe work against each other from time to time, and you know how how do you balance those things? You know because you're not only probably one of the most famous electric violinists on the planet, oh, thank and, you. and busy, but 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 you also have one of the most highly respected violin manufacturing companies. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. I, that means a lot to me because. Uh, we're special, you and me. We're not the same. 
were not cookie cutter string players. And there are 99% of them are cookie cutter. And that didn't inspire you and it didn't inspire me. When we saw Hendrix, we saw these guitar people. And I love the guitar. Back, Jack, back and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. But for string players, as you know, we have been the superhero virtuoso rock stars for 400 years. Paganini was probably the first rock star. Long hair, great. He looked like a freaking devil. I mean, he was way before Ozzy Osbourne. Right? Oh, yeah. People don't realize that. We had that. And then we got sucked into the vortex of boring, unoriginal, and cookie cutter. And when uh, the 60s came around, uh, which I was a product of, Woodstock, Vietnam, the Kennedys, Beatles on Ed Sullivan, from Elvis Presley, all of a sudden, but that period of time, remember, music changed then. From suit and tie, Miles Davis, suit and tie, elegance, and the Beatles short hair, but they were freaking me. Well, everybody my thought it was parents, hard. Right? They my parents were like, you, what are these hippies? I yeah. said, man, you don't know what long hair is. Yeah. So this whole period of time, I'm, I'm in the middle of the Juilliard classical thing, sitting in the middle as a kid, and then I bump into Sgt. Peppers, and I bump into the Allman Brothers, and I bump into Woodstock, and then I bump into Zeppelin, and then Miles Davis, and then Pink Floyd, David Gilmore. It's like, Oh my God, these guitar players out of nowhere. No teachers. Oh yeah. Nothing. No nothing. And yeah, they no were, Suzuki, no nothing. Nothing. And it was like my heart just burst out of my chest saying, this is music that's is just, I mean, for me, it was Hendrix and the Band of Gypsies of the Fillmore album that I heard that. And he, there's one note that I can show you that was seared right through my freaking heart. And I was like... I need to play like this. Yeah. I cannot play like this. I need to play like this because this, he's got one note and he's holding it and he's strangling it and he's caressing it and he's making love to it. All right. Obviously, we've got a little more background noise than we can deal with at this point for the interview. So we, uh, we're going to take a quick break and come right back as soon as a uh, trumpet guy finishes doing whatever it is that he's doing. In the meantime, let's talk about our sponsor for this segment of the podcast, Diodario Strings. I've been playing electric violin for nearly 20 years, and I've tried a ton of different strings. The one I always go back to, though, are the Diodario Helicore strings. They sound great on my electric, whether I'm playing clean or with some weird effect. They stand up really well to the frets. They handle all the wear and tear of a rock show, even when I'm using a pick, which is something violin strings are not really designed for. Uh, They handle changes in tuning. I have one song that I tune my E string all the way up to an F, and I've never had any problems with that. They settle in fast if you break a string during a show and have to replace it. You pre-tension that string while you're stringing it up, and you're not going to have to fight tuning the rest of the night nearly as much as you will with some other strings. It's a fantastic product. I love them. We sell them at the Electric Violin Shop. You can learn more at diodario.com slash orchestral, or you can buy them at electricviolinshop.com. Now back to our interview with Mark Wood. I never thought of myself as a hybrid guitar player ever. No. 
you know? I'm still a violin player, but what I, the way I describe it is, if you play the blues scale on the bassoon through a Marshall stack, you're gonna sound like a guitar. If yeah. you play a harmonica through a distortion with a blues scale, you're gonna sound like a guitar. You put Aretha Franklin singing through a stack of Marshalls, it sounds like Hendrix. So, even though we're influenced by guitar players, we're not interested in the instrument. We're interested in the way the phrasing is, which comes from the singers. Hendrix, God bless him, and all those freaking guitar players just were so unencumbered by the small box of education and schools and conservatories. They were like, I don't care what you think, I'm going to hold the guitar this way, or I'm going to tune it like this, because no one was saying, you can't do that. In our world, it was constant, you can't do that. Right. This is the right way, that's the wrong way. Where in the 60s and 70s, it was all about pushing against the system and against the establishment. So that creates art that is truly revolutionary. For the Beatles, in a short amount of time, to do Sgt. Pepper's Revolver, Abbey Road, Let It Be, in, in three years, and then you have, within one year of that, you've got Woodstock. One a year of that, you've got... Um, uh, Miles Davis with Bitches Brewing, but you also have uh, Dark Side of the Moon. You yeah, also what an exciting have time to be in music. You have Led Zeppelin. I mean, we're literally, not like ten years later. It's within this period of time we are dealing with the most historical moment of rock and roll and jazz and R and B and. Um, everything you could imagine. So I'm in the epicenter, I'm at Juilliard looking out the window of this thing, and that that was a very powerful moment for me. But you would think, God, why didn't all string players go have that eureka moment? Where were the, what, what were you doing, man, with your head in the sand? Are you kidding me? The stuff that was happening as a musician, why wouldn't you be so inspired? But it's always, in hindsight, it's always so obvious, yeah, right? Yeah, I could, you know, looking back, it's like, man, I was the only one who recognized this as a string player, not just as a, as a fan, but as a musician to go, wait a second, instead of me doing my vibrato really nervous sounding, like high yeah. fits, maybe I should slow it down and make it more sensuous like Hendrix. Well, that's not going to work for Mozart, Mark. Well, you know what? I'm not going to play Mozart anymore. I'm going to play... The blues and then blah 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 blah. But violinists don't do that, not yet. And and as you know, you can't find a better instrument, better than the guitar, to make that sensuous, beautiful. Because I was never into fiddle. Fiddle wasn't my thing. Because uh, it still has sort of a nervousness to it. When I uh, listened to Page and Jeff Beck and, uh, and there was Clapton, a, Clapton, Dwayne Allman was <gasps> one for me too. Um, I'm Leslie West. I mean, come on, Johnny Winter. Uh, the list is yep. less long. Well, how far out of their way do those guys go to get that bowed sound? Yes. You know, they, 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 they've come up to with do all these ways doing. to get sustained, yes. and and, they, and they're using they're using uh, you know bars and stuff, and like, oh, we got to be able to get this sustained. We got to be able to get this bowed sound. You're like, I got it. I got a bow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you had to be well trained. Because we had fretless, we had enough frets, we, didn't, we had an instrument that was antiquated for that kind of music. So I would go out and see occasionally an electric violin player that was out of tune, and I was out of tune, I couldn't hear myself. 
and that was when I was I said this instrument is not quite there for this modern music. All right, what are we gonna do? I'm not trained. I'm not a luthier. I didn't go to you know uh, Italy to learn from Cremona the art of building a crucifix. Like, I'm not interested in that at it's all. It's a piece of wood, man. Yeah. Just put some strings on it. It's like, so I had access to a wood shop because my father's side were woodworkers from Canada. My father's uh, company and my, my family's company were built religious furniture for temples and churches around the world. Oh, wow. So I grew up smelling sawdust, turpentine, paint. My father's a famous artist, too. And I put down a futon in his studio, no heat, barely barely a bathroom, and I tore apart my play. Because I couldn't play the music that I loved. I would hang out with these bozo guitar players who couldn't read or write music, and they would jam. And I said, well, what key are we in? And they were like, I don't know. Oh, you're. it sounds like you're in D. I've got a D string. Yeah. And here I'm the Juilliard train. I was like, okay, I can play a D string. And they're like, Wait a second, you're the trained musician. You, I said, I don't, what, sca- what is this music? They don't teach the pentatonic scale. Yeah, they don't right? teach any of that stuff. Right, Matt? And that was, I almost had a nervous break. I said, wait a second, man. All this practicing and I can't play one note of the music that I love. Oh, boy. So, again, okay, you know what, Mr. Guitar Player, who don't, you can't even know what this is a G chord? Teach me. Teach me. What the hell is that scale? Ooh, I, I love that. The Zeppelin riff. And I would go... Oh, wait a second. This is easier. Right. Because of our tuning. And the guitar players would say, well, because of the tuning, I was like, oh, now I understand what you're doing. So it took me five years of combining music um, evolution and music um, uh, curiosity with a saw and a sandpaper and a hammer. And that's how I did it. I would go back and forth from the woodshop and I'd walk around to my studio. I'd practice and go, ooh, this feels weird, man. Oh, I go back to the shop. Let me sand this down. Let me get rid of the, this. Oh, I can now shift Yeah, they're not about on this thing yeah. anymore. Yeah. And then I'd go out and get with my band. I'd record it. I'd see the reaction. Oh, my God. And I built the hand violin. Oh, yeah. And that was the game changer. I used that. And then I did the double neck because I wanted to have an instrument with a flat bridge to do chords. Because I always hated, okay, here's the solo mark. Okay, when the solo's done, then go sit over in the corner. Right. You can't comp. Because you can only play I one note like, I, Wait a second. So that was when I, I needed more strings. Because I could follow as a cellist, follow the bass line. So that I could contribute to the songwriting, contribute to the sound of the band instead of just the solos. And that was a big motivator for me to evolve into an instrument with my seven string, which really was my, that was it. I said, I found it. Awesome. So where did, career-wise, where did that take you? You decided, hey, this Juilliard thing's not for me. You've invented this instrument. You've acquainted yourself with, with how you play the music that you want to play. So where does it go from there? I, cr- I go like this because there's nothing out there. We're starting to hit the 1980s. Um, Guns N' Roses, um, Motley Crue, um, Steve Vai, yep. um, Ozzy, um, Randy Rose. All these guitar gods, yeah. Playing virtuoso. And then, when, of course, Eddie Van Halen with the Eruption doing the Kreutzer. Wait a second, that's our song, man. What the f- are you insane, man? That's art music. You taking that from me? Yeah. And he laughed 
in my face the whole time. I said, yeah, man, you guys are frozen. I said, no, I know, but... So I had spent time, I was about to work with Randy Rhodes until he died. So you can imagine, probably before you were born, by the way, um, to be in this epicenter of virtuoso rock. I was like, hey, people, check out what I'm doing. I was with bands and I was performing. And then I bumped into a moment in time, Joe Satriani and Steve I, and I would go over to Steve I's house. We lived very close to each other. And I was like, Steve, check this out. What do you think? And I'd have my, I had this instrument called a violaser that had the barrel at the end. I don't know if you ever saw that violin. No, I don't think it is. There's a barrel at the end. I'd shoot bottle rockets at him. I mean, I was into Oh, I have seen it. Kiss. Yes. I, I, I got that. Yeah. For a violin player. I was like, oh man, I'll light myself on fire. Check out how cool a violin can be. So I was with Steve by while he was with Zappa, and then Joe Satriani said, man, you're doing what we're trying to do without a bow. We're, we don't have a bow, but you have the bow. So I got a record deal on um, guitar recordings, and there was a magazine called Guitar for the Practicing Musician. So it was this moment in time that went like this with me. I fired my band, I went solo, did instrumental stuff, because instrumental metal was the rage. Right. The rage. See, that was Ingve Malmsteen. Uh, Billy Sheehan. I mean, these were friends of mine. And then I got pulled right into this thing with doing the conventions, working with um, Ozzy, and bumping into all these people who were, Mark, can you play faster than a guitar? Yeah, man, check it out. And they were like, oh my God. So. For a split second, I was on The Tonight Show, I was on the cover of Time Magazine, I was on CNN, because I was also writing music for the Olympics. Right. So exactly. I had this weird clash, but it went like this with me, because the press saw this long-haired crazy guy play this double-neck violin and writing music for the Olympics, and a record deal, Tonight Show, it was all this explosion. All of a sudden, Nirvana hit, and anything faster than eighth notes yep, was hated. I was like, oh no. So I had that split second. Then I, I did a lot of writing for TV and uh, film uh, to pay my bills. And then the Trans Siberian Orchestra was formed. And that catapulted me back into it far more aggressively. I think I was building violins at the time uh, a little bit, just one on one. -on -one. I didn't want, by the way, I did not build violins for anybody else to play but me. I was like, nobody in the world is gonna have my double neck. No, I'm not gonna build a hand violin. That's my thing. I'm the only one in the world to have it. And it just got overwhelming that, man, can you build, here's, you know, a thousand dollars. Oh, I can pay my bills. Yeah, sure, I'll build. But don't show it to anybody. Right. I don't want anybody to know that people are playing my, that's just me, me, me. That's how stupid I was as a business person. And then, of course, I bumped into a guy named Joe Domchin who worked at Sam Ash, a guitar guy. I said, listen, can you help me build these things? I got five to build for China or for Japan at the time. Sure, Mark. And then that's when wood violins started to happen. I was like, well, actually, maybe I could tolerate somebody else playing a Viper. Right. So, so talk me through, I mean, the, the thing, the reason I don't play anything else live, and I work at the electric violin shop, I can take anything off the wall anytime I want and take it out. So I don't care to play anything other than a Viper, and the, the reason for me is the chest support system. So what was the eureka moment for you, yeah. when, you when you realized that I don't want to hold this thing under my chin? 
because to me that cha- that's a game changer. Yeah, thank you, Matt. And I think that that's something that string, traditional string players shy away from innovation like that because they're in the box. What for me, um, a lot of it was seeing the stiffness and this tension and stress of this. And then I'd see Jimmy Page with his guitar swinging around and this beautiful physical relationship with their instrument. Drummers, bass players, all these great musicians that I, I admired. Having a, and I'd watch how their physical relationship, then I'd see high fits, and it's, a, it's this very stiff, unsexy look. I was like, man, I, don't, I can't look like that. The second thing was, being a viola player with my large instrument, I was feeling pain in my neck. I was like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? So I got to figure out. So I stumbled upon the first self-supporting instrument I built was the Dragolin. Yes. It was the Dragon Wing, wing, and I did not build the Dragon Wing for self-supporting. It was just really cool. Okay. Really cool looking, right? Um, and then I put a strap around my neck. Uh, yep. I had a choker. Yep. Like the dog collar. Yes, dog yep. collar thing. And I was like, wow, man, I can stand straight up. And of course, in the 80s, it was all about your band. All the girls responded really well oh, yeah, like to these joke. weird, right? And you, because we're musicians, we're really superficial people to begin with. <laughs> we want to respond and and have a relationship with not only our audience but also, you know, our, everything is involved with playing in clubs. So sure. that instrument really was like, wow, man, I can move. And then I built the hand, mm-hmm. and that hand was this sort of like the extreme of. If I had it built, it's like, oh, that would be really cool. So I draw the original drawings of this human hand. So if you see the way my veins are, the violin has those identical veins. Oh, awesome. Has a hand coming up, and then the knife goes through the forearm holding the strings. Right. I was like, oh my God. I showed it to my parents, and they were like, oh my God, you need help, Mark. You must stop this right now. And when they were reaction, I was like, I got something. Yeah. Because if it pisses your parents yeah. off, <laughs> you're on the right track. That's right. And then I brought it out in public. So it has fishnet stockings on it, as you know. Yep. Which was worn by my girlfriend at the time. Awesome. Then you have I don't to go know buy if this, is, just this like... is not PG, by the way. <laughs> so and I was like, oh, my goodness. This is really insane, Mark. Um, and then I built a double neck. And now the double neck was like, oh, my God, how am I going to hold this thing up? I am not going to hold it under here. And I don't know if you know that El Shankar had a double neck at the same time. Okay. I don't know if you know El Shankar, electric violinist uh, with Peter Gabriel, one of a dear friend of mine. And it just so happened that he was looking to build a double neck violin, too, but two identical necks. Okay. Why would you do that? And it had no relevance on what we were, um, what I was doing, because my my instrument um, had a flat bridge to play chords, and then I'd turn it and had a six string there. Okay. And that changed everything for me. So I got an old tripod of my dad's, and I welded this tripod so it had a swivel mechanism. And uh, wow. It was awesome. So I had a mandolin hybrid flat bridge to do chords, and I flip it, 
a six-string uh, electric, and that was my instrument I had when I got my record deal. Okay. And that was my main instrument for about 10 years, and then I was like, I need a seven-string, and this uh, this is a little too cumbersome for me, and that's when I built the Viper with the wing angles, to be very specific, right. and that took me years to get the right position, and I bet the first Viper you had was the original neck angles, which were not quite the yep. way they are now, yep. right? And it had the telescoping um, oh. chest support. And it had the swivel Did at the you bottom. Say, you said you sold it? I just, well, you, I broke the neck on it because I had jumped off a six-foot-high stage and, right. and it snapped. You so I sent it back to you and I was like, Mark, I'm so sorry. And you're like, no, this is awesome. <laughs> so, and you had done this one. My dad had had a 65 Corvette convertible when he and my mom got pregnant with me and he had to sell it by a station wagon and just and I think he's still mad at me about that uh, as he should be so I asked you I said it was a British racing green with a metal fleck and I wanted that color and you're like well I can't really do that in house so you took it to an auto body shop and had them paint it I don't know if you remember any of this wow well when I broke the neck on it I sent it back to you and I said hey and it was your idea you said I'm going to upgrade all the hardware on there and uh, you know change out to the new chest support he said you know in the in the color it's 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 a little beat up you know why don't we repaint this let's do a different color and i said let's do the boldest yellow that you can find <laughs> and that thing you can see it from out of space Rod yellow is that the one you keep playing now so no i've, I've sold that one um and really, just about a year ago, um, sold it. Because you know that in a hundred years, that's going to be worth millions of dollars. Yeah, and I'm going to be dead. Neither one of us will care. Um, but Your son's I had, grandchildren. I had two of them because it's four to six month lead time. So I had the yellow one. But wow, actually, when I broke the neck back? on it, I had called you to buy a backup. And it just got there. I said, you know, give me a base model that's a regular wood color. It's like 20 years ago, man. This is a while back, yeah. Admittedly, we got a little bit off track there. So I hope you guys are really enjoying this music. This is off of Mark's latest album called Turbo. You guys can pick that up on iTunes today. I highly recommend it. It's uh, Mark Wood Turbo, T-U-R-B-O-W. Now, while we're listening, we mentioned that one of our sponsors is Kodobo. They are the top maker of carbon fiber, violin, viola, cello, and bass bows. They are what happens when you literally put a master bow maker, a materials engineer, and a rocket scientist in a room together. One of my favorite Kodobo products is the Jewel. It was specifically designed for extended range instruments like you're hearing Mark play right now. It can move that low B string without sacrificing feel and speed on the high E. And it's not just for extended range violins. I love it on a four string violin too. It actually pulls a really big tone without a whole lot of work. It's a marvel of technology. I have access to any bow in our shop while I'm there and the one I keep always going back to is the Jewel. Uh, I love carbon fiber because it's essentially indestructible. I've used carbon fiber bows for years in really rough environments, and I've never, ever broken one. Uh, I throw these things across the stage all the time, and you know how it is. Sometimes you drop one. Uh, I've never broken one. I've stepped on it. You just pick it up and keep playing. Uh, So uh, if you dare, you can try that with your wood bow. uh, But better, you can swing by Kodabow.com to learn more, or you can purchase a Kodabow at electricviolinshop.com. So, you know, 
time rock stars here. You know, we, I'm at least larger booth, and, and uh, you know, you've, you've toured. You, you're talking about some of the people you play with, but you've toured with everybody. Just, I mean, go ahead and name drop. It's it's fun to <laughs> it's fun to hear about you know some of these people you play with. Yeah, I think that the, the the joy of a musician is actually because remember what motivated us to play music was our heroes for sure, and to bump into heroes and also. Uh, Personalities who are attached to music that we love, from Paul McCartney to Steven Tyler, gosh, to uh, Lenny Kravitz, uh, to believe it or not, Kanye West. Uh, they're, they're, each one of them is an eccentric personality. And then someone like Paul McCartney is the guy living down the street. Yeah. Who's normal, very, very um, unassuming, but the music that comes out of them, the creativity is astounding. So, uh, and I'm fascinated by both personalities. When I worked with Kanye West on the um, uh, the Pepsi commercial, uh, it was Devil Went Out of Georgia with a hip hop runner. Right. So, oh yes. And of course, I played the devil. Of course. Of course. In fact, the funny thing was, that as they were um, selecting who was, I was up against a blonde-haired surfer dude who could sort of barely play violin. And I talked to the person. I said, "The devil did not was not a surfer dude. The no. devil looks like me." So it was really fun. But he was um, sitting at a keyboard, a little keyboard, and he was triggering samples. Okay, so here's we're not talking about Rachmaninoff type of playing piano. Right. We're not talking about a master of the keyboard. We're talking about a mastery of a different type of technology, which is not necessarily pushing a button and making everything happen by one button push. It's the decisions that one makes. Right creates the artist, not necessarily how well they make the decision, is what the decision is and what the idea is. And I would watch him collecting tempos and samples and feels, and boy, is that the essence of music anyway. So he was really odd and strange and in his own bubble, but absolutely fascinating. Um, I think the most influential and powerful relationship, not only as a musician, but also as a family, was Celine Dion and her family. Uh, I got called, uh, the funny thing is her, her breakout record was recorded 15 minutes from my house in Long Island, and I was working with her producer on other things, and, and he calls me up one day and says, there's this artist Celine somebody or other, she needs to do some strings on her record. For sure. Here's, you know, here's your money mark and just do a string arrangement. And uh, then I did a solo on it and then kaboom! That was Celine Dion yeah, two years up. later. Blew up. Called me to do the tour with her and when I, it was the fifth song in, I'll never forget it, the fifth song in To Love You More the song was The Entire Band Disappears on an Elevator. So guess what? It's me and Celine Dion closer than you and I are. Yeah, I've seen the video. Oh my God, every night I could smell the perfume. I could, she didn't even need a microphone. Oh yeah. It was like, oh, in front of 50,000 people every night. And it was not just the song, it was the duet, the romantic duet. So here I am, I'm just married. My <laughs> son is, is, th is three months old and she's holding my son because she was trying to have a child at the time. She would take my son and disappear. Is that Celine Dion with my boy? Oh my God, where is she going? But of course, she's, she was just so in that position as a mother wanting to be a mother so much. So I had that experience. But every time on the stage, I've never met someone with a consummate professionalism, but also she started each sound check with hugging 
everybody in the band, the crew, the sound people, and showing gratitude and appreciation. When have you ever seen that from a diva? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Never. So we've stayed in touch. She's part of my foundation. Um, and unfortunately, her husband just died recently. It was devastating for her because there's an interesting story there. She's 16 years old. Her Bengali manager is 35. You know, that's pushing it. But he catapulted her career. And he was so great. He was the nicest guy. I mean, we're talking mega millions. Oh, yeah. Mega millions. And we had a private plane right after the show. No hotel, no tour bus. We get in a private plane and we fly back to Montreal after every gig so Are that she serious? could be at wow. home after every show. We did a show in Florida. Hop in a plane, tornado, go home. Wake up in a hotel for me and then get back in the plane and fly to Nevada and then go back and forth. That was the oh, tour. On a private plane, yeah. you could imagine, with a whole band. It was so awesome. So that was a great memory. Yeah, that's that's exciting. So you're, it, you've got to, it's got to be an exciting thing to know that, that your music, of course, is, is reached millions of people through your collaborations with all these artists and your work, but also that your invention, your instrument, has helped so many people change so many lives. There's, you know, there's, there's you. sort of this stagger effect. So who are some of the artists that you that you uh, maybe provided violins for that you're just really excited about some of the innovative things that they're doing. Yeah, you know, it's the younger generation. I've uh, I've got my heroes, and I, I have to share with you one of the the goosebump moments. Now, before you were born in the 1970s, there was a band called the Mahavishnu Orchestra. Yes, and there was a violin player. And again, remember for us. Who are our heroes? There we could maybe three or four viol- electric violin players. Not high fits and not it's not Perlman. Right. I needed violin players to kick ass and show me that a violin can rock. So here I'm 14, 15 years old, and I see Jerry Goodman mm. and yeah, and um, Joe Ponte. But Jerry Goodman was an American rock guy. Long hair, hippie, yeah. wah-wah pedal, a technique. Not a fiddler. And then there was a guy named Sugarcane Harris before him who was really a scratchy, gnarly, you know, attitude, but filled with attitude. Loved him, but being Juilliard trained and classically trained, couldn't relate to the sc- this kind of playing. The scratchy, you know, but Frank Zappa, he played with Zappa, so he, he bowed down right, to Sugarcane exactly. Harris, yeah. who ended up dying in jail for gambling and bankrupt. Total rock star. Then comes Jerry Goodman. We're talking 40 years ago. I see him with his wallop pedals. Man, he's doing. I hear it. I feel it. Man, I want to. He's my hero. Right. Jimmy Hendrix, my hero. But he, Jimmy Hendrix is playing the wrong instrument. Right. Jimmy Hendrix should be playing the violin. Yeah. So I see Jerry Goodman doing something relatively similar. He was a huge influence. And then you fast forward just a couple of years ago to get a phone call from Jerry Goodman. I mean, he is so modest, and he hates it when I, I fawn over him. And I'm like, you remember that solo when you did on that record? That was the solo that changed. Mark, don't talk to me about that. I don't want to talk about that, Mark. I'm a fangirl right now. You got to Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So, and now we, we, of course, built his violins. And that is a huge thing for me. Because I tell my violin friends, imagine if you're a guitar player and Jimi Hendrix calls you up. And says, hey man, I want to play your instrument that you invented. Yeah. It's like, wow. So we have that player of that generation, Jean Ponty, who also plays our instrument, but he's doing a more of an acoustic violin thing. Okay. But he's awesome. 
Um, but the younger players, we're talking teenagers to young 20s, where they have no um, uh, box that they're in. They are not going to Juilliard, but they're good players. Um, those are the players or the up-and-coming that are really exciting to me because they don't really care. Well, drop some names. I'd love, I'd love for our for our audience to sort of be able to look some of these people up. Yes. Oh goodness. I, I wish I had it in front of me because there's so many. Because you know, I have my rock camp, right. my rock orchestra camp, where we we nurture them. Uh, actually, let me fast forward to people who are already players. Is Joe Denon's own? Yep. We have a guy. Oh, this is a guy that you've got to check out. Chuck Bontrager. Okay. Okay. I've never heard of him. Adam Blue. He he's a Incredible person, but if there's one, if your question to me is who is sort of an under the radar pro level player um, who does stuff on the Viper, a seven string Viper that is heavier than Metallica, that's thick and and, and a molasses tone, this guy's doing it. And when he came to my camp that first year, he drove down with his band for free. Said, "Mark, I want to play." I said, "God, I don't really know how you play," and he blew everybody away. Super loud, super heavy, and he, I mean, I'm into heavy, this is beyond what I do. This is a heaviness that is, that is heavier than anything you've ever heard, because he's got a, an attack on his, by his frog. Mm-hmm. It's not the chomp stuff, right? but it's this attack that is, because it's, as you know, with a bowed, uh, with distortion, a bowed instrument. You have the attack, and then you don't have a decay happening, so you have this thick, and he's gotten that thick uh, response from his uh, sustain of his bow that is astounding. Um, Tracy Silverman, who I went to school with, he's awesome. Not as much a rock and roll guy, but a consummate musician. And a pioneer. Pioneer, and he and I were... Uh, Juilliard uh, schoolmates uh, back in the 70s. Uh, Nigel Kennedy, I think, is a really interesting, um, odd person, Mm -hmm. but a great player. Also went to Juilliard with him. It was a weird generation right then, because after tracing me, Nigel Kennedy, uh, it sort of disappeared. Then you had Mark O'Connor come in, and he, he did some stuff, but he's mostly a fiddler. Mm-hmm. But the up-and-coming guys, gosh, let me see who even have websites. I mean, we, they haven't even developed their own YouTubes yet. Right. Um, there's also a large population of female Viper players, which really amazes me. Yeah. Because as male Viper players, we know how it sits on our bodies. Right. And you wouldn't think that the, the, the comfort would be a, 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 something that you had to adjust to when you're a female. Right. But there are, out of the Viper players, there are about 60 to 70% of our Viper players are female. Oh, yeah. Which some is some outstanding players. Really interesting. We had some here with you this week. Raz. Raz. Yes. amazing. Abigail's great. Yep. Um, Cassandra's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And at my camp, we have all these incredible, far-reaching, innovative female artists and less male. And I think that it's not, not only because... Um, Women tend to also think creatively on the, on the same level as men, but strings in general attract a more feminine. They do. Which astounds you and I. See, I mean, in a rock business, we, and I talked about this with uh, Rachel Grace the other day, is that um, there, the, in, in the drummer world, you know, your son is a very well-known drummer, is that drummers, probably 105 out of every 100 drummers are, are guys. Right. And guitar players, same thing. Yep. Bass players, same yep. thing. Singers, um, it, it, we got a lot more women in the singing business. But for violin, 
it's almost the other way around. Yeah. You know, there's there's way more women yeah. in in the violin, even in rock violin, than than uh, and you would expect. That's the new generation is surprising me. Remember, if we look at the last um, twenty years, I could maybe I don't maybe you can help me naming a strong female leader in the in the alternative strings performer uh, Karen Briggs I don't know if you know Karen she played with Yanni she is outstanding but other than Karen forgive me there I'm sure there are but they're not that many all of a sudden this new generation of female power it's like wow man and they are not scared and they're fearless and they just let me add that viper whereas you have some of the male players are Oh my God! It's more than four strings. Oh my God! What do I do? Ah, well, it's a pedals, and these chicks just go right for the throat. I love it. So we've we've talked about your your camp sort of on the on the periphery a little bit, and and uh, and also the electrify your strings program. So not only have you sort of been a pioneer in this, and not sort of, you've been the pioneer in electric violin, and and push the boundaries out on the front side. You're also on the back side saying, hey, we got to get this next generation up. So talk a little bit about your the, the work that you're doing with kids and students. I think that the um, our educational outreach, our camp, we reach thousands of kids when we go to schools. Um, as you know, the only place, and, and this has to change, but the only place for a kid to discover a stringed instrument is not at the local music store, it's not the local club, it's at their string program. If we remove the string programs from public schools, not only orchestras will disappear, but the instrument will disappear. Now the guitar, look at the guitar. Guitar's not in school. It's a billion dollar instrument. How does a kid bump into a guitar? Because they bump into Jimi Hendrix, they bump into Steve Vai and Joe Satriani. They have so many guitar heroes, they don't need a school. In fact, I'm gonna figure out this instrument myself usually. Well, our greatest players were not really formally trained in the guitar and drums and bass. But violin, we need to nurture. So I had to figure out, okay, where do I need to go to strengthen an area that's heavily populated with my people? Not the choir room, not the bed. Oh, how about the string room? Now, after all these years, the data and statistics on healthy or struggling strength programs is, is jaw-dropping and disheartening. Less than 7% of the schools in this country, if not the world, less than 7% of the public schools have strength programs at all. I never went three... to school one. Yeah, oh, okay. That's why I play trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but funny, you play violin now. Well, I started on violin. But I picked up the trumpet when I when I got into school because I wanted to play with other kids and we didn't have an orchestra. And and what fills the spot of the violin in a band was the trumpet. Yeah. So it's, it's, it, you're the one making that's all the That's interesting too. Uh, and we should have a discussion about what's propelled you because what's fascinating to me is why a kid picks the clarinet over the violin. No offense to the clarinet. But come on, the violin is awesome. It's mighty right? hard to look cool when you're playing. <laughs> or the oboe. I'm going to get some hate mail from that. I that know, but, but we don't have to worry about that too much. But for strings, when you... Uh, I did a program in uh, Sioux Falls three weeks ago with 3,000. Oh, it's huge. 3,000. Um, 
800 string players playing together making music. 800. If you put 800 guitar players, it would be chaotic noise. Or 800 trumpets. Or 800 of any type of instrument. It's chaos. You put strings, it's glorious. So already we have an instrument that can be solo or ensemble or gargantuan. So the string programs for me, not only the students, but the teachers. One thing that a dealer came up to me yesterday and said to me, who's our dealer in Sioux Falls, he said that generally at December, the returns of stringed instruments for middle schoolers are 50 to 60%. I'm not interested in viola. I'm going to play the clarinet. I'm going to play the saxophone. Year after year, decade after decade, it's always, okay, here comes December. We're getting all the returns. After our concert, Electrifier Strings at Sioux Falls with 3,000 kids, not one return. Hallelujah, man. He's going to sponsor your next (laughs) Sioux Falls. Oh, we're doing it again. Also, um, then... Your question is, well, then, is there a way that we can stimulate a sleeping giant? We have a sleeping giant here that I see every day. I see three to 400 kids in one session in uh, Virginia or in Florida or in Texas. And of those kids, not everyone's going to play electric, sure. but every one of those kids will see a new way of thinking. And I think that that's what we need because, unfortunately, our pedagogy puts us in a puts us in a box. Forgive me. Uh, and I just spoke to some wonderful classical teachers at my booth at the NAM show, and they said, "You wait. We struggle to keep these kids interested. We struggle to keep these kids imaginative and creative." I said, "You know what? You're teaching them scales and etudes. Who gets excited about the C scale?" <laughs> exactly. But again. What's our end goal as teachers and mentors? Our end goal is to have, help them find their voice and to help them bond with the instrument. I don't care if you play classical music, fiddling, or whatever you do. But if we don't allow them to bond love lovingly and know that their instrument is not only their best friend, but the place to go when you're lonely, the place to go when you're happy, the place to funnel your emotions, not just as a exercise trampoline. And I think that when I speak to the first thing I say to these kids when I start my electrifier string programs, I said, I don't care if you're a cellist or a viola player, violin player. You are not a viola player. You're not a violin player. You are a musician. And if you're not a musician first, then um, you're wasting your time. Get out now. Oh, wait a second. Do you love music? I love music. Well, what is a musician? Oh, uh, a musician is somebody who plays in tune, sort of, but a musician is less I, more this. Mm-hmm. So those black dots on you, I hold up the music, I say, these, see these black dots? This is not music. This is GPS. Helps you go from point A to point B. But this is not music. So what's music? Oh, okay. You know what, guys? We just played those four measures of, um, you know, one of my songs or, or a Led Zeppelin song. Those four measures, okay, now turn your music stands around and look me in the eye and do the same thing and listen. And I, I say to the teacher, I say, come here, I want you to listen to something. Okay, kids, now read it and play it. You know, it's like very stiff and it's very mechanical. Okay, kids, turn your music stands around. Now listen. And I say, everybody, look at me in the eye like you're having a conversation with me. Engage me as a listener. Engage me as you're up there. A language issue and a language challenge with me. And it, it's obviously, it gets better. So I said, okay, this is an interesting moment. Where are we lacking in the ability to transcend the mechanics 
and create truly what is what we need to do, which is emotion. Um, and that's why the guitar players killed us. That's why the guitar players pushed us aside yep. in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and to right now. Heifetz is no longer a riveting as much as Jimi Hendrix at the Fillmore with his band of gypsies. Riveting. We're not talking about... Well, Heifetz that. never set his violin on fire. <laughs> that was the stuff, you know. But again, we're not, we, we never want to get into this music is better than this. But we wanted it, because I play Bach every day. You love, love classical music. I love play it every day. We love music. But the gateway, where's the gateway? Where's the doorway to our imagination? And, it, and it's like, well, I'm a, a little scared of my imagination. I'm much more comfortable playing Mozart every day. Great. God bless you. No problem. But you know what? You shouldn't be afraid to express yourself. Oh, I can talk. I can write poetry. Yeah, but use your instrument. I mean, use my violin? Oh, my God. I don't want to do that. I have they the, built I, that thing? I have a guitar at home. <laughs> you know, that's what they all say. I have a guitar at home. Oh, Mark, I play guitar. I said, I don't want to hear that. You have enough guitar players. Play, do it on your cello. Do it on my cello? Why would I do Check this out, little Jimmy, with your cello. And all of a sudden, within 24 hours of my electrifier strings program, little Jimmy, his eyes are exploding. His parents say to me, he's never cared about orchestra. And now he loves his cello, viola, violin. <laughs> Bingo. We win the first battle. The second battle is the ripple effect <coughs> that we continue a relationship through our Facebook and then the can. I have a place for you. I meet this a case in point, oh gosh, where was it? New Albany, Ohio. <coughs> this fantastic. This girl, I met her, she's 14 years old, right? In middle school. And I walk in, and the first thing she comes up and says, Hi, I love your new video. I said, Okay, I got you're on my radar. Where the other kids are like, Oh my god, I can't even look at him, he's so scary. Within three hours of our session, she is bouncing, jumping out of her seat. I said, Man, are you understanding what? I totally get what you're doing. And it's like, okay, then the concert the next night, she not only is performing without music and next to me improvising, she's never done it before. So then at that point, I said, I need to meet your parents. Yeah, meet the parents. I said, yep. I said, she's got it. I don't know what it is, but she's got it. We can feel it. And they said, well, she's never really liked or... I said, I don't want to hear about it. We got a place for her. Come to my camp. And it is the epicenter of all electric strings from around the world. And they come, we have three orchestras, and 80% of the orchestra is electric violins with a little amp under the ch chair. Yeah. And it's the loudest, biggest, punchiest, nastiest rock orchestra you've ever heard. Rock and roll. From everything from Tom Sawyer, from Rush to Led Zeppelin to my material. It's my laboratory. I've never been in a situation where I've got 100 killer players with either Vipers or one of our instruments, and that's the other thing that we teach at our camp, is we teach about electric violins. We build, we have them build one with us, because it's oh, important awesome. that they understand the technology of it, sure. and they also have to understand where I came from after 40 to 50 years of going, okay, here's a Barkersbury violin, what? Why is this sound better than this? Oh, the transducer is in the bridge, not the bridge sitting on top of it, blah, 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 blah. So we have a learning thing with technology, composing movement classes, because you can't just sit there. 
everybody's stands up in my orchestra. Everybody's moving and feeling. I said, we have exercises where we're moving right, left, right, left. Okay, now do that motif, that rhythm, but you have to move in time. And it's, and it's so brain-stimulating, it's beyond anything. So <clears throat> it has turned in, uh, this could be our eighth year. Tracy Silverman teaches there, Joe Denison teaches there, um, Rachel Barton-Pine teaches there. It is truly the only place in the world where electric strings are welcome. Entirely. Now, you can come with an acoustic violin, uh, and that's absolutely fine. We set those people up. Uh, but we have a cello section of our Cobras, and they're fretted cellos, and they're standing up. Huge difference. That's a game changer for them. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We haven't even gotten to the cello land that I've in invented. Not only the fretted cello, but the cellos where they're self-supported, and you can move around. So we train them to be not only great musicians, but great performers. Get the eye contact together. Do not look at the music stand. The music stand, we don't like the music stand. Do you think that the Rolling Stones goes on stairs with music? They sit yeah. behind a chair and they're... <laughs> Are you kidding me? The audience would kill them. They would burn them at the stake. <clears throat> so American styles, the last 50, 60, 70 years, have created a performance style that the world has never seen. Prince to James Brown to Duke Ellington to Aretha Franklin to Jimmy Hendrix to Ullman Brothers and that's what America contributed is a sense of wild abandonment with artistry. That's rock. Well, I think the violin community, and we talk about this at the Electric Violin Shop, it, at this point, thanks to the innovative work of, of some people that you might know real well, um, that the the violin is sort of electric violin is about where electric guitar was in the 50s and I feel like we're on the cusp of, of this explosion um, and a lot of that and I think I love the, the work that you're doing with kids we've got to teach these kids young that there there's another way yes and I think there's going to be a huge explosion of electric violin in popular music yes um, and it's uh, you know and, and after 40 years of me doing this I really thought it would happen earlier. And that's really was an interesting observation. Why didn't it happen earlier? Why are, is it like glue and quicksand that we tend to be a, a victim of our pedagogical concepts? Well, I think technologically we're finally at a place, and, and you've got some products like this, that we've got pro-quality sounding instruments. At, at accessible prices. Yep. You know, when you go back to the old days of Zeta, they made great violins, but they were unbelievably expensive. And very heavy. And, and we finally <laughs> got now instruments like the Katana and instruments like the Stingray. And there's some other, uh, and some other instruments in, the, uh, in sort of the under $1,000 category that, oh, yes, that are right. great sounding instruments that a ninth grade kid can go home to mom yeah. and say, Thank you. hey Absolutely. mom, you know, I'm, not all moms are, are able to swing the Viper right, for the ninth right. grader, but that now you guys have got some instruments that are a quality instrument. They don't sound bad, right. and I think maybe that's part of what inhibited electric violin early. Um, without naming a lot of names besides Fender, there, there, <laughs> was, there were some some instruments that were available that just sounded bad. No, because they weren't driven by a violinist. And that was an interesting observation. When I would, and we're talking the 1970s, I would talk to Barkus Berry. They weren't violin players, so they would just take an acoustic violin made in China, paint it blue. Right. But their pickup was pretty good because Jean Luc and Jerry Goodman and Sugar Dean Harris all played them. But that was the only company. 
different. That was it. The guitars had all these great confidence. But I think that having, and I think, Matt, this is the critical point of my existence. And I spoke to it at the NAM Educational Seminar about this. Musicians drive everything. Suit and tie, corporate, do not drive anything. Um, Jimi Hendrix sells guitars, not Fender. Um, Steve Vai sells guitars, not Ibanez. Uh, and that's a critical point, that we cannot explore instruments without the head forger with the, with the uh, you know, miner's cat uh, being a string player. Because when I started building violins, it was all based on this of, of my playing and what I was hearing in my head. Oh, I need this. Oh, I hear something. Oh, oh, get me my sandpaper. Get me my saw. Let's cut this thing. Let's get rid of this. Oh, I shouldn't have got. I got rid of too much. Get some glue. And everything went at the end of the day. I would go to a club and try it out. Oh my God, I'm playing out of two. Oh, I didn't cut the bridge right. Oh, I cut the nut terribly. The string. Oh, maybe I should put effort into that. Yeah. Next day, I go back to shop. Okay, I got it now. Oh, now I got a spray paint it. This cool color. Oh, the paint is peeling. Why is it? Oh, I know. So, I, there's no luthier school for electric violins for some. Nothing. Not yet. Not uh, yet. Maybe somebody listening. Yeah. Will start one. Yeah. yeah uh, but again, the tradition of uh, 400 years of Stradivarius Amatis and Guadagnini's, there's luthiers for that. And it's those people are really interesting because there is a beauty in an art to that. But they look at me like I am insane and I, I'm like from another planet. And I say to them, would Steve Jobs respond like that? Would And when I, I heard a phrase that, that, that was eye-opening, if Mozart was alive today, he would be working at Apple Computers. And that, to me, broke my heart when I saw the New York Times speak about the culture. If Mozart was alive today, he'd be working at Apple Computers. That whole philosophy sort of tends to, um, in, a, in, a, not in a judgmental way, but in a, not a nice way, but it does wake us up. It's like, we don't want that. We don't want to feel that innovation has left our string world or our classical world. So we're going to change that with electric strings. Awesome. Well, it's been a fantastic chat. This you is uh, rock, Matt. You rock. So, uh, the websites where we can go to learn more about you and your products: uh, woodviolins.com, uh, mwroc.com, Markwood Rock Orchestra Camp, um, markwoodmusic.com, my uh, YouTube channel, uh, my TED Talk is where you need to see the pictures, the the documentation of my history of all my violin buildings. That really, uh, that really makes you think. Um, and everything else, but thank you. I really appreciate your support, brother. Yeah. I'm gone. Hey guys, thank you for listening to the Rockstar Violinist Podcast, Episode 1. Mark Wood is in the books. 
We've got a lot of really exciting violinists coming up for you guys really soon. So tune in in the next couple weeks and we'll have episode two ready to go. 